Hello and welcome to episode three of Summoner's Corner. We are finally through the group stage of the lock-in tournament. We have had elimination happen. There's a few teams that have already been knocked out now, and it's been pretty exciting. I'm your host, Will. And I'm your other host, Josh. Josh, what what do you think was your highlight? My highlight? What, what, what do you think was the most exciting thing for this weekend? I think the most interesting thing, the thing that we got to talk about may, maybe the most, is IMT putting in their entire Academy roster. Definitely an interesting decision, for sure. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Emphasis on the ends, but yeah. yeah. What about you? I think FlyQuest, just as a whole. Uh, you know, they last week they were 0-2, and they kind of turned it around this week they had, they had some interesting stuff they got the jungler come in uh i think it's going to be an interesting team to keep an eye on definitely showing signs of life They're definitely looking better and honestly i think that's where we'll start we're not really going to cover a whole lot from day one because that was just the end of groups in my opinion nothing super exciting happened there aside from FlyQuest, the team that was zero and two after day one, week two, was two and two. Yeah, so, and further than that, they handed the only undefeated team in the league their first loss. Yeah, they in the in the first game, too. It wasn't even like they, they had a, a little bit of a warm-up, either. That was their first game coming into week two, was FlyQuest versus Evil Genius. This is the one that I have probably the most notes on. It was a, it was a good game. I think that was a really, really good showing for FlyQuest. EG had some mistakes and stuff, but overall, I think EG played fairly decently as well. You know, it's funny that you say EG had mistakes, because to start the game off, FlyQuest failed an invade and gave up first blood almost immediately. Yeah. <laughs> so, Fly starts off with a five-man bot. They get a ward on Gromp. Or like right right between Gromp and Blue there, which is a super valuable word to put. I, I like them going for that early level one for the vision, but they overstayed. And Jose Diodo picked up his first death in North America. First game in LCS, first minute of play, yeah. and he dies. Was not a very good start. To be fair, FlyQuest... According to one of the commentators, I can't remember who said it, FlyQuest only had an 11% chance to win. Or they were given an 11% chance to win. So, I feel like based on that, the game started as expected, really. EG looked incredibly strong last week. FlyQuest didn't. But it, w it turned out to be a very competitive, very interesting game. I have to say, I, I really like FlyQuest's style overall. Like, if you look at them stylistically and how this game progressed, it was a very aggressive, in-your-face style from FlyQuest. Definitely, yeah. I think I, I think that plays into because they're a very young team, and I think it plays into that where they're uh, they're very much ready and and raring to go, looking for fights and everything. Obviously, at times that's going to come to bite them, but it makes for very exciting games at the very least. I think it's also maybe uh, something Jose Diodo brings to the team. I, I don't feel like we saw this in their initial showing in groups. Uh, so something that I think is like 
players from the non-core regions, right? Being like OCE, Latin American regions. Japan, even, and, and stuff like that. Sure, yeah. with the exclusion of China, because they just play insanely aggressive anyways. Yeah. But generally, in a general sense, I think that those regions tend to have a more free play style, which can lead to more aggression overall. I, I, I feel like it really plays to aggressive junglers, and it really allows them to express their skill more so than in a refined region like North America, where you see a lot of junglers on tank duty relegated to like very regimented play. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. So with this game, Fly vs. EG, I want to start off right away with the draft. One thing that stood out to me, and I I don't remember, they, they might have mentioned something about this, but EG skipped their third ban giving first pick Olaf over to fly. That was a penalty. Okay, that that's what I was wondering about, if it was a penalty or not, because I, I remembered uh, there was another game that I watched where they had the the penalty. That hurt them a lot, I gotta say, because as we've talked about before, Olaf is an incredibly strong champion right now. Anytime he's open, you see him get picked. Uh, I think he still has a 100% win rate after this weekend. I don't think we saw an Olaf lose. He didn't get played much, mind you, but... No, it was usually on the ban list, but certainly very yeah. strong in any of the games he was showing up in, yes. And then FlyQuest also pulled out Seraphine, which, if I'm not mistaken, we hadn't seen yet in North America. It's been played a lot in other regions as a really dominant bot lane pick to go along with the likes of like Misfortune and Ash and, and champs that have easy slows that they can apply. She's incredibly strong because then she just gets that free root or even stun if she has the empowered E. So I, I really like seeing that come out because I think she's a very strong champion right now. I'm surprised not to see it before. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that before actually seeing it in play. That is a huge wombo coming out yeah. of the bot lane. And, and furthermore, like, like the ultimate, when, when she charms everyone forward, that is so strong because you're, you're not just standing in MF yes. ult. You're walking towards it, which then makes it harder for you to get out of it because you're deeper inside of it. it it's incredibly strong. And then, like, plus the range on it is just insane. It, it has, like, pretty solid range on its own. I think it's actually, like, a little bit longer than Sona Alt, just base. But then on top of that, for each ally or enemy you hit, it resets the range. So it's as if that unit, like, that ally or enemy is just recasting it in the same direction. Is there a cap on that? I no, no, I don't think so. It's That's insane. So you can go gross. like uh, practically across the map. It's ridiculous. It has huge playmaking potential. So as we mentioned to start this game off, Fly had that weird five-man play bot. I liked the ward placement. They overstayed, gave up first blood. It didn't look well. Palafox in both of FlyQuest's games that day played Akali. And actually, in an interview with him, I think I think it was after one of the two games that they won, he pretty much just said, if you leave Akali open, I'm going to play it, and I'm going to carry. So I like seeing the confidence from him. Uh, that's something I'm going to talk about a little more as well when we get into the Fly vs. TL series. But I really like seeing a young player come in with like that much confidence on especially like a really high skill cap champ like Akali. She's not easy to play at all. And honestly, he piloted it very well. 
through all of the games he played it, I think. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of rookies are coming in uh, saying, t- talking a lot of smack this year. It, it really does lead to a more entertaining uh, league, I think. For sure, yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I'm always excited to see Akali play as well. She's just a really fun, very volatile champion for either mid or top, wherever the, wherever she gets played. So, Palafox picked the Akali into Jizuke's uh, TF, and honestly, Jizuke has looked really, really good on TF. He has had some some great playmaking alts with it. Um, he's looked very clean through through all of EG's games. And so this is a case of lane pressure versus global pressure. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the main thing is, though, w- with a matchup like this, you can, if you're good enough, uh, you can get to the point where the lane pressure a- outweighs the global pressure enough, where the global pressure gets shut off, where they like they can't afford to alt away from lane, right? Yes, absolutely. And I, I think Palafox did a fantastic job of that. Uh, he was crushing Jizuke. He had a 20 CS lead at 11 minutes. However, at that point, EG had taken that first blood. They got a 1k gold lead, and they got the first dragon. So Palafox was playing great. The rest of Fly wasn't doing a ton. But then at around the 14 minute mark, there was a huge play top for Fly. Licorice, man. Licorice played Gragas. He looked incredible on it. He had so many massive alts. Gragas is quickly coming out as like a premier top lane pick right now. Uh, we saw it a little bit. It's really fun. And it, yeah, part of the strength with him as well that I want to mention really quick is that you can flex it to support. Obviously, anytime you have a champ that, that can play multiple roles, their value goes way up. I, I think part of it is the ulti, but part of it is just the solid presence. Uh, no matter where you are, you can set up for ganks. You can lane safely. It really is just kind of a, a Swiss Army knife champion right now, and it fits into a lot of different strategies. Because there's also, we, we really only saw two of them, but realistically, there's like three builds that you can go with Gragas right now. The two most prominent are like full tank, where you go for the uh, uh, Sunfire, and, and then like into Thorn Mail, and you just become this meatball that can't die. The other one. Uh, that we saw, which Licorice played in this game, was the full burst Gragas, where you go the, uh, what is it, the Night Harvester, I think it's called? Yeah, it is Night Harvester. It, it gives you, uh, like, the first time you do damage to a champion, it gives you a huge extra proc of, of damage on it. Uh, it's similar to uh, Luton's Echo, but more built towards, like, Assassins, because uh, it doesn't have AoE. It's just the one target it hits. So we saw Licorice play the Burst Gragas. His ultimate alone was chunking people down to like half health with just that one barrel. It was insane. And yeah, he, he was setting up plays everywhere. So they had that huge play top at 14 minutes and Johnson got two kills. And at that point, the gold lead evened out. Johnson in this game was on Aphelios? Uh No, Johnson was on Misfortune. Uh, so two kills on misfortune very good my my one thing and this is a complaint that i have throughout all of FlyQuest's games that i've seen so far diamond needs to work on his positioning he has been getting caught out so many times and he really likes playing these 
tank hard engaged champs like like the Alistar in that game he was on he was actually on Seraphine but I think for the most part he's he's been playing champs like like the Alistar and and Leona just these super like burst engaged champs yeah so so there's this uh kind of mismatch where uh bot lanes are either playing the tank engage melee champions or they're playing these sort of long range like like seraphine right sit in the back uh enchantress champions and honestly i have seen a ton of people sort of especially because i pay a lot of attention to the tsm games uh just get caught playing these these melee and i don't know if it's because they're so used to just playing like an enchantress or a healer or what but but very much so early on in in this tournament i've seen a lot of melee style supports just get caught out yeah and one thing i heard a lot from the uh analysts high spoke about this a lot he he mentioned that watching the games he thinks that a lot of teams are taking this lock-in tournament somewhat as if this were spring split and using it just as like limit testing and i I definitely think you can see that at times with some of the plays that teams are going for so that's something to keep in mind as well that was actually one of my notes i i I noted down that i thought some of these games just look like scrims yeah because of the aggression both teams are are going for yeah so that's really interesting Uh, now one other thing i did have about this this game in particular Impact on Orn looked. He was floundering most of the game. Yep. I thought Lane was okay, but then when we got into team fights, we'd see an Orn alt to engage, and the enemy team was just two screens away already. And like he'd hammer down and send the ram, and it it would hit a carry. Like his aim was fine, but the timing was just so bad. Yeah. And it's it's really interesting to see from him because, I mean, he came out as a tank player. That's what he was known for for the longest time. Like, there was even the discussion for a while there of can Impact play to non-tank metas? Like, we've seen him struggle through that. So it's very strange to see him playing an Orn, which really should be a comfort pick for him and uh, just not doing much. And like you said, I, I, I'm not sure if it was really his playmaking or any anything of his fault necessarily because he was hitting ultimates uh, in team fights he seemed to be positioning correctly and and frontlining and peeling but it just wasn't doing it no and, and i think this kind of just speaks to the way eg was playing this game it never felt like they had a good way to engage cleanly right yeah. if you look at the engaged tools the hard cc tools you have or alt you have tf stun and you have Ignar's hook. Yeah. And, and to a lesser extent, like you, you have like marginal CC on a Felios if you have the right guns or whatever, but mm-hmm. you can't really ever count on that, right? Yeah. So looking at it, like, like really, I feel like Ignar should have been more so on engage duty. And it was his job to step up and really land those hooks, but it just never happened. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it's also hard to play because, I, I mean, realistically, you look at their comp and it is like an engage heavy comp. Like you have the TF who wants to be ulting behind the team for those flanks. You have Orn who wants to be calling in the horn like Graves wants to be up right in your face. 
Aphelios is best when he's kind of like in the middle, just being a storm of blades. And that's really hard to pull off when you're playing against an Olaf and a Kali, a Gragas, even Seraphine has like pretty good peel. She has a lot of really hard CC options, including a, a team wide shield. So I, I think FlyQuest's draft was really, really good here. And one big thing that I want to point out, EG is undefeated when Impact plays Renekton. Impact didn't play Renekton this game. Now, now that's not saying, oh, just put him on Renekton forehead. Because one, it was banned. And two... You can't just shoehorn Renekton into every team comp. Like, eventually, Renekton is destined to lose. Like, it, it has to happen when Renekton loses a game. Yeah. That, that's just the way it is. So that's not, like, the end-all, be-all. But definitely seeing him on this more passive, sit back and farm and tank later, just just did not... We, we, the whole thing was not a good look for him. Yes. And I think I, I'm going to call back to something that we talked about last week. Games aren't going very long. Orn no, really is at aren't. his prime when he's hitting level 18 and giving just huge amounts of free stats to his team. Uh, he's, I don't think we've seen an Orin hit level 18 yet. It just no. doesn't seem as efficient and as valuable a pick with the, the current meta and how fast these games are going. I, I think a lot of it is, is dragons too. Dragons are going so fast that by the 25 minute mark, yeah, you there's have very both elder and baron on the map. Yeah, there's there's very very high drag priority right now. We're seeing teams take them like as soon as possible, and after the first one goes down, teams are are there for spawns for for the next however many until the game ends. Like drag is is huge priority right now for teams, no matter what soul it is, and uh, I think that's a bit different from what we saw previously. From what I remember last year, there wasn't this much emphasis on drags. Obviously, it was if it was Infernal or, or Ocean, teams were fighting for it. But a lot of the time, you'd see the clouds and even sometimes mountain drakes just kind of get left for a while while they took things that they thought were more important, right? And that's not happening this seat, this split so far. Now, speaking of drag priority, I really want to get into something interesting that happened in this game that happened in another game as well during the Elimination Series. And that is FlyQuest got to Soul Point on Dragons. Yep. I believe it was 3-1 to one or 3-2. to two. And then EG was in a position where they had to contest the Dragon to deny Soul. So EG warded up and ran into the Dragon Pit. Mm-hmm. And FlyQuest was hard pushing two lanes. Yeah, I remember this. Uh, uh, they they pretty much just said, "Okay, like take your one dragon. We'll give up soul for now. We'll get it next time. We're gonna destroy your base instead." Yeah, and I think this is a great strategy play, and it really emphasizes the point you were making, where dragons have become that really premier objective early. There are really so many more objectives on the map compared to previous seasons with the two heralds spawning and with the dragons coming up uh, so frequently yeah with this game it like eg started with a lead FlyQuest made some really great plays to even it out they slowly got a gold lead and from there i mean they were just dominant on the dragons which made it really hard for eg to to really do anything because they had to worry about that so much 
And really, FlyQuest just choked them out. FlyQuest played extremely well with a lead. They had very, very few mistakes once they got a lead, which is really good to see. Uh, like, especially from from a young team, as as we've mentioned. And they look they looked great, honestly. And this is a team that is just starting to really get practiced with their full roster as well. This being Jose Diodo's first game. So it really will be great coming into the full season as, as Spring Split actually starts to see what a more practiced, more refined team can do with their full roster. Since we're talking about them, do you want to jump into TL vs. Fly now? Yeah, I think that's the. Uh, I think I think we can start there for our elimination groups. To be honest, I think this can fall into the same category as the uh, FlyQuest vs. Immortals Academy game. All like quite a few of these guys on FlyQuest are very young. You're having Diamond and Palafox coming straight out of Academy. You have Jose Diodo, who I think he only played like two seasons in the Latin America League, so he is still a fairly young player as well. Meanwhile, on the other side, you have TL, one of the best teams in the league right now. They have probably the most amount of experience out of any North American team right now, as far as, like, time in for their roster. Like, C9 would be the only one that competes them, I think, just because of Perks and Sven. But I feel like TL probably has just more years of experience overall just combined with all the players you mean yeah yeah teal are still working out a few things just because santorin was late to the party being from europe they played without him for the first couple of games so this is the first full week of practice they've had with him in person i believe yeah yeah and, and these are the first games that we're seeing him in as well for like on tl but that being said uh this is a great place to test the waters Fly isn't what you'd call a higher tier team, and they're still kind of getting their footing themselves. So this is a great sort of sort of tryout for the roster, kind of an add-on to scrims, get to full strength. Like the games still have stakes, so it's like a stress test. Yeah, but it's not like really balls to the wall play serious quite yet. For sure. So game one, I don't really have a lot to talk about. Uh, I think for both of these games, FlyQuest drafted pretty well overall. My one complaint about the draft for game one is that they let Talia through. Talia is a champ that you need to ban her first pick. She's just very, very strong, especially if you match her with a uh, another champion in, in lane that has easy, hard CC, which we saw come out of TL's bot lane. They had Core JJ on Leona. So I wasn't a fan of them leaving the Talia out and... Honestly, it felt like it was just TL outclassing FlyQuest. I don't think Fly had any atrocious mistakes or anything or misplays. They just got outplayed. Just it, TL was just better. TL, as they normally do, just dominated the bot lane with CoreJJ and Tactical. They got an, a very early kill. CoreJJ from there, pretty much just he based, got boots, ran mid, the enemy mid laner, pretty much had to just leave lane letting jensen get a cs lead and then from mid he ran straight top and got a kill there for alfari now let's touch on this comp from FlyQuest a little bit more for game one they are running udir in the jungle 
Lucian Mid, and Seraphine Maokai Botling. Yeah. This is just super interesting to me. Like, 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 this is something I really haven't seen or experienced quite yet. And I understand the theory with the CC, and, and it, it's almost like a funnel comp. Like, you have an extra support, and you're trying to just kind of enable uh, Lucian to deal damage. But also Udyr in the jungle. And this isn't the only one we're going to be talking about this weekend, I think. Yeah, we, we've seen Udyr a couple times now. Udyr is great when matched with another caster, especially like a Lulu. Or uh, in, in the one game, we saw him paired up with an Orianna mid lane. Uh, like anyone that can give him extra zoomies, he does incredibly well with them. He has really, really fast clear now with his build. And I think that's part of the reason that we're seeing him get played. And I think every game he was played, they took Ghost over Flash, which, again, makes sense. It's a champ that just wants to run at you. One thing that I do want to mention for this draft, and part of the reason that I think FlyQuest drafted really, really well, early on, they locked in the Seraphine, and one of Seraphine's biggest counters right now is Leona. Seraphine does not do well into hard engage lockdown CC because she's so squishy, she can just get blown up. So... Liquid, I think, picked the Leona to try and counter Seraphine's support. And then FlyQuest said, okay, you locked in Leona. We'll just have Johnson play Seraphine as the bot laner and have Diamonds take Maokai as support to try and counter the Leona. So I really, really liked that from FlyQuest. Again, it's just Johnson and Diamonds aren't nearly as good as Core JJ and Tactical. <laughs> The other thing, just in general, when looking at this comp, is where does the damage come from, right? So you, you have, like, a second support, more or less, right? Udyr builds tanky. Yeah. Irelia is hybrid. She deals a lot of damage, but she also goes a little bit mm -hmm. tanky. Uh, yeah, she's uh, like a bruiser build. Sort of a, a, a fighter, yeah. So really, I feel like you're relying a lot on your mid laner to get fed uh, in that Lucian. And then also for Seraphine to just kind of farm up so she can deal her long range damage. Yeah. Even when built support, Seraphine still has a decent amount of damage on her. It's not like hyper carry damage or anything, but it's enough that you can't really just build like straight armor into the like Lucian Irelia. And like even Irelia has a bunch of true damage when she gets her passive stacked up. And then also the Maokai. The the typical build on him right now is to max your saplings, so that does a lot of damage. So I think they were their their thought for damage was like the Seraphine Maokai will bring in enough magic damage that if they go full tank, they'll get fucked up by them. And otherwise, hopefully Palafox and Licorice can bully enough early to win late is uh, I think what they were trying for. That that was my thought when I was watching this draft, at least. Yeah, I, I just, in general, I don't see it, and I feel like there was some sort of drafting error, right? Like, if, if you look at TL's comp in this game, there is a solid answer to both. Like, where's your attack damage coming from? Well, it's mid and ADC. Where's your magic damage coming from? Everyone else, right? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think a big part of it for Fly as well, though, was just that they were trying to counterpick. Uh, like I said, they locked in the Seraphine, Liquid responded with Leona, and then I think Fly said, okay, we want to win bot lane. Uh, as we've seen, 
that's pretty much the way to beat Team Liquid. It's incredibly hard to do, but if you're able to shut down their bot lane, Liquid struggles a lot because most of their playmaking comes from Core JJ. So I, I think their idea was that they were trying to just win bot lane with that uh, Seraphine Maokai lane by getting counter picks, and it didn't work out for them. I feel like any Leona lane is just hard to win right now, playing into Leona. Leona feels very strong in the yeah. meta. Especially if you have a high damage, like early high damage ADC. I think the Samira pairs up very, very well with Leona right now. So yeah, there's nothing really to say about this game too much overall. I mean, TL gets that big early lead. And then from there, it's just TL with a lead. You know, I Core JJ roams, they make plays, they collect neutrals, they widen their gold lead and push the base. I, I agree. Like they smurfed bot lane and then Core JJ just took his lead and gave it to the rest of the team pretty much. <laughs> that really is such a talent too. Yeah. Just having that like 200 gold from a first blood kill that goes on to a support and and extending that across the entire map. It really is such a talent and it really yep. can't be understated. And then move, so moving into game two, if you don't have anything else about game one. Yeah, that that was it from from game one. I think FlyQuest drafted pretty well again here. They drafted a dive comp, and aside from one pick, it was very clear through and through that this was a dive comp. They have Kaisa. She loves jumping to the back line with her ult. You have Hecarim, who obviously wants to jump right in the middle of the team. Akali wants to jump in, shroud, dash around, just cause chaos and a bunch of damage. And then Gragas, who's really good when he gets in the middle of a fight. Also really good at isolating champions, so that enables your assassins to really get onto the targets they want to. Yeah, for sure. And then they went for a counter pick with support. CoreJJ locked in Rel, which we haven't really seen a ton of, but TL has been playing it the most. CoreJJ seems to really like this champ, thinks it's really good. He made it look good, I'll say that much. And then in response, FlyQuest picked Janna. Now, Rel's main engage is that W where she leaps off her horse and slams on the ground, and it's it's this pretty big area knockup, but has a 1.5 second cast time, which is really, really long for an engage tool. And FlyQuest's idea here was we pick Janna. As soon as we see that, that long, big engage come in, Janna presses Q twice, and it's canceled. And I think that was a really good idea, but it got maybe 10 minutes into this game, and I went to myself, wow, Janna really sucks right now. <laughs> yeah, it really just doesn't seem to fit in this comp. Like, That's the other thing, is they have a dive comp, Janna doesn't dive. She's, she's like a disengaged champ. So it didn't... I, I understand wanting to get the counter pick, but I feel like you would have been better just sticking with no, dive and, and picking... A champ that actually wants to dive. Now, some champions she does work with, to be clear, right? So if you look at Akali, Akali is mobile enough that she can go in, uh, and then she has two disengage tools. She has her yep. E, which she somersaults back, and then can follow it in if she wants to. And then she also has her smoke screen, which gets rid of fights. Well, I mean, her alt as well is a really strong disengage that, tool for her. She can just alt true. out. Um, 
But if you look at Kaisa, all she does is all 10. If she goes, she is yeah. committed. Uh, mm-hmm. Gragas only gets one body slam. Mm-hmm. And Hecarim only goes one way. Yep. So if you really look at it, it really is hard to pull off this comp with a disengaged support. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that is where Fly lost this draft. Like I said, when I saw it at first, I was like, okay, that seems pretty good. You're countering Core JJ. Great. That that's how you beat uh that's how you beat Liquid. Like shut down Core JJ. But it just didn't feel strong and it really doesn't fit in this comp. So as soon as it made out a lane, Diamond was just useless. And if we look at the neutrals, I mean Four consecutive dragons for TL, superb control again as expected from a world class support plus you, you know strong jungle, strong solo lanes. Like like there, there's not a ton to say there. When you get into the actual core of the game play, aside from what the team comps look like inside a vacuum, it's just the same story game one and game yep. two. Yeah, Liquid is just the better team, uh, and, and that's very clear from watching these games. One other main thing that I want to point out, though, Palafox played Akali again. He went 4-2-0. He looked very clean. He is definitely very skilled on this champion. I have a complaint, though, with him playing Akali. Okay. He keeps going for this Riftmaker build. Uh, Riftmaker is the item where when you're in combat for a certain amount of time, you start doing true damage. It stacks up, uh, caps out a certain amount of stacks. You get, like, Lifesteal, or sorry, Omnivamp from it. Mm-hmm. It's a great item on some champions. I am not big on it on Akali. I know Akali with her shroud and all of her movement tools, she can be in some very extended fights, which I can see the value of Riftmaker. But at the end of the day, Akali is an assassin. I would much rather see him building Night Harvester, getting that extra damage, and being able to just pop people instantly. I think that would be much more valuable. I hope through the regular season we'll see him play that and go for that build because i think the big thing here is he's taking a collie he's doing fine in lane we, we see him at times coming out up cs which is very good otherwise he typically goes even which is still very good but a collie i think is a champion that you need to bully lane and just kill your lane opponent and with this build it makes it very very hard to do and I think he might be able to get a more dominant lead and take that into team fights if he goes the Night Harvester build as opposed to this Riftmaker build. Building on that, I want to make another point about his commitment to Akali. I think that, one, FlyQuest as a team needs to be more diverse. I, I know that they like playing this aggressive, aggressive style, but... It's very one-dimensional, and I think that, two, aside from their own play identity, other teams can either build around it or play them into a corner with it where they don't have good options for this aggression. And I, I, I feel like good Definitely. drafters, especially those like TL, 100 Thieves, TSM, all, all your, your higher-up teams with this infrastructure and coaching staff, uh, that that really looks at and analyzes these games. I really feel like it's not hard to put yep. your finger on what the big ups are for this team and what to target 
to really shoehorn this team into a losing position right from the draft. Yeah, I, I agree. That was really all I had on TL versus Fly. At the end of the day, FlyQuest is just outmatched in this game or in this series. Liquid is incredibly strong. FlyQuest still has a very new roster that they're figuring out what it actually is and what it looks like. So it, it they were fun games to watch, I'd say, but it wasn't extremely competitive. Absolutely. Good dry run for the full roster for FlyQuest. They are sent home now. They will not be making it on to the next stage of play. So we'll see them in the spring split. Now. So moving on, uh, there are two more series that just went 2-0 and nice and quick. The first one that I want to talk about, because it'll be super quick, is Hunter Thieves versus Immortals. Obviously, as we mentioned earlier, Immortals was playing with their academy roster. 100 Thieves looked incredibly strong through the group stage. So it's the same sort of thing where it, it really wasn't much competition. It's an LCS team against an academy team. Yep, this is another easy expectation play. Um, you know, if you put five gold players up against five silver players or, or pick any two divisions in the ranking system, Nine times out of ten, or like 95, 98, 99% of the time, the weaker ranked players are going to lose. And that's basically what you have putting an academy team against an LCS caliber team. That's just the way it is. I, I really have two main notes on, on this series. I, I do want to give props to 100 Thieves coaching staff and their, I, I'm not sure who their shot caller really is for in games right now. Whoever that is is doing an incredible job, though, because they do look incredibly in sync. They are, without a doubt, a very cohesive team. It, it really seems like whoever their shot caller is says go and they go. And it's really, really good to see that. And then the other thing is with the Immortals playing their academy roster, it gives us a look at some uh, substitutes we might potentially see and also potential future players that we might see in the LCS. One really stood out to me, Joey on support. He looked very good. Despite like the losses, I think he still played fairly well throughout. He pretty much only played engaged supports, so that might be something hold that's actually holding him back from being an LCS player. But uh, he looks pretty good. Yeah, Joey has had some experience playing on LCS stage before for CLG, I believe, in previous seasons. Oh, okay. I, I believe there was some sort of strange circumstance around that, too where it was kind of a last-minute emergency substitution, and it was for a fairly important game. He unexpectedly made his LCS debut in Week 9 of LCS Spring against Immortals when Stixay became ill and Aframu had to switch to right. ADC to replace him. I remember that now. A few things I did want to take away from this series. Delmonte got TF again, looked very, very good, created plays, uh, was effective at roaming. It seems to be a favorite of his so far. He's played it a lot. And number two, Sunday on the Jax game two, actually fell behind quite a bit. So he got bullied out of lane, got dove, and by the end of the game, he was just a monster. He ended up with a quadra kill on Jax. Yeah, I was going to say, he, uh, he struggled through lane. To be fair, he was against Camille who is definitely a very, very strong top laner right now. I think, aside from like the Renekton, she's probably the second best lane bully at the moment. So it makes sense, I think, that he lost early, 
but he was yeah he was a monster in the late game he went 10 3 and 7 whereas tapoon on camille was 2 8 and 5 so yeah so that that just speaks to his uh experience as a player you know him obviously being a veteran and such so yeah i'm excited to see where 100 thieves go for the regular season because they've looked incredibly strong so far i'm excited to see them in the next round they're going to be matched up against liquid no i'm sorry i'm i'm mistaken it is uh they're against cloud nine i apologize okay so it'll be interesting to see them against cloud nine because some of those matchups for the younger roster looking at del monte in the mid lane i feel like that's going to be interesting to see up against perks especially coming in but then on the other end you have someday against fudge yes and also fbi against Sven. i feel like uh, there are two bot lanes that really put you through your paces in this league those being tl's bot lane with core jj and c9's with sven and fbi has looked really good so far but it will be interesting to see how he does up against one of the top players in the league as far as ad carry goes yeah, I agree. I, I think that should be a very fun matchup. It should be pretty close, too. Like, both of those teams looked incredibly strong so far. Who do you think is the favorite to win there? Oh, it has to be C9. I, I, I think that 100 Thieves is looking strong, but they're not at the caliber of top of the league teams yet. And I think we saw some of that this game. Like, there were moments in this game where it looked like they had the right idea, but their execution was a bit off. And if that ever happens against a team like TL or C9, they're just going to be punished. They're going to lose two to three kills, lose the next neutral, snowball into Baron and like GG, because that's how C9 and TL play. Yeah, that's true. And I, I think that's more TL right now. Like I think TL has much more clean regimented play where they can pick something like that and just latch on and dig in and really expand that lead i think cloud nine is getting there but they are not quite to that point yet as a team i i agree i think they need a bit more time playing together some of their plays seem a bit shaky with like fudge and perks it just seems like they're a little offbeat still and not uh what am i trying to say they're, they're, it doesn't feel like they're fully in sync right now yes i i feel like Perks can be overly ambitious or overestimate his capabilities at times. Yeah, yeah, I, I can agree with that. Moving on, the other series that'll be nice and quick to go over is Evil Genius versus Golden Guardians. This is the same thing. Golden Guardians is just far outclassed here. Evil Genius looked incredibly strong in both of these games. Please, if you're playing against Evil Genius, just ban Renekton. Yeah, that's my first it's my Impact, first note here. Why does he keep getting Renekton? Impact has been insane on this champion. You cannot allow him to play it. So also in this game we saw another Udir pick, which was very exciting. I actually watched these in reverse order, so this was the first Udir pick I saw and it looked okay. Like I get the theory behind it. I don't really know if it has enough in LCS to really have the proper impact at high level of play because it's just one of those run-at-you champions. To be fair, though, Skarner is the exact same, and we've seen him see 
really great success. Uh, the main difference is... I feel like that's apples and oranges, though. Well, well, the big difference between the two champs is, like, Udyr has much faster clear, whereas Skarner has more heart CC. Because the Udyr only has bear punch, whereas Skarner has the E-auto proc and obviously the ultimate yeah more so the ultimate just for for assassinating that one player as a five main unit so some notes on eg this game they looked like they were in control every fight in game one they just looked like if they wanted to do something they could do it if they wanted to set up for something they were already set up by the time golden guardians got there the the one main note that i have for golden guardians in game one a Blaze Olive played incredibly on the Oriana. There was a couple plays that were iffy where he kind of went in after the team had all died, but he had some really, really big ultimates on the Oriana and overall just played it incredibly well. And then I think Niles also on the Gangplank top played pretty well considering he was against the Impacts Renekton. He didn't like hyperfeed or anything. He got focused, so he died a few times. I don't think there was much he could do about that. But overall, like I think he played pretty well for team fights and everything. So one of the things when looking at this team is just like, where do you go? Because when Evil Geniuses is set up and has vision, look at the poke tools they have, right? They have the Nidalee, they have Jizuke on Syndra, which he's very good at, blending those long-range stuns with the balls. And if you take any damage, you also have Deftly with the Jin, right? So Jin snares Nid Spear. Cinder stuns Nid Spear, right? Like, all of those abilities are very synergistic, and it really leads to people getting poked out so consistently that it's, it's almost impossible for Golden Guardians to stay there for any extended amount of time, unless they get a very clean pick. Yeah, I agree. And then moving into game two, Golden Guardians had some good ideas. But their execution, again, was just not quite there. Case in point, there was a gank top initiated by Evil Geniuses. And Golden Guardians used Twisted Fate to counter with the ultimate. But Twisted Fate countered into a 3 versus 2 situation. So the situation was already lost for Golden Guardians. They end up wasting... Well, they end up giving up an extra kill and wasting a huge tool in TF alt. And at that point, they, they've just lost so much presence on the map and gold to that kill and push lane that it's just a massive deficit they've voluntarily put themselves in at that point. Again, I, I think you can chalk this game down to just Golden Guardians being outclassed. Stixays looked really good in uh, in most of these games as well. He had four kills, three deaths on, on the Kaisa, which isn't awful. He was really the only one doing well on Golden Guardians in the second game. Whereas, I mean, you look at Evil Geniuses, definitely. He had eight kills. Sven had three. Impact had three. And then Jizuke and Ignar both had two. I think a lot of, a lot of it comes down to experience, right? Stixay shining through as a veteran player, looking at the other ones, some shaky plays, not as effective, not used to having to play from behind from such a huge deficit off of one play so I, I i think there's a lot of room to improve but i think we can just chalk this series up to better team wins more experienced team wins and team that's able to pull off more diverse strategies wins yep i agree and i think that's one of eg's main strong points 
going into this year is how diverse they're going to be with their champ pools. I'm very excited to see that. Yeah, me too. It really is going to be a challenge for some of the other teams to adapt to just how diverse, how unpredictable the drafts coming out of Evil Geniuses can be. All right, so let's move into the last series because I think this one will probably take the longest. We talked about FlyQuest for a long time at the start. That was just because of their 2-0 on day one, which was very impressive to see. Last series, Cloud9 versus TSM. My favorite team versus your favorite team. And, I mean, this was a great series. This was so fun to watch. This was definitely the most exciting series out of all of them. Definitely the best series of the weekend, hands down. Really easy to say that, looking at the last two especially that we just talked about. It's the only one that didn't end in two games. So, we'll start off uh, with game one. TSM take the game. They focus dragons really well, and they also put Huni on Gragas top. Now, Huni's been struggling in the group stage. He's been on NAR quite a few times, and it was like night and day seeing him on Gragas. Yeah, he played very well. I think my one of my really big notes for this game one, and honestly, one of my main notes for this whole series was the support difference. Vulcan played Nautilus in the game one. He did not look good. He got caught out a lot. He was pretty much just instantly dying in team fights. There was a few fights where he didn't even get a chance to ult because he just died so fast. He ended up 0, 6, and 9. Meanwhile, Sword Art on the Galio played very well. He was 2, 4, and 11. He was making plays for them. He had some great alts. And I think when it comes down to it, that's where the like really big difference was for this game was that like the bot lane i also think c9 struggled greatly with having two 80 carries to focus in many of these fights uh, once laning phase had been broken they were able to focus down just the gin but then power of evil on lucian was dealing out so much damage they couldn't deal with it and uh contrasting that there was one fight where they did manage to focus out PoE, and that fight looked a lot better for them, but they still had to deal with the Jin at the end of that. One other thing for this game, Fudge looked so useless. It felt like he really didn't do anything this game. He was 0-4-6 and six on Aatrox. I think a lot of that was Huni being unlocked this game, just being on something he looked really confident on looked like that world-class player we've seen many times before but something we haven't seen in this tournament yet and i think if we can see huni fall into that pattern more so we really will see a lot more success for this tsm roster even in their loss game three huni made a huge play at the second baron for tsm huni used his gragas cast to knock blabber out of the baron pit enabling azir to steal with auto attacks and i i think that level of awareness and that level of coordination is just it's very beyond some of these newer junglers and it's also something that's just so hard to pull off from an execution standpoint that very few players can can coordinate and do things like that i i do think you have to put some of the blame on 
Labre, though, I mean, he's going into that pit being well aware that the enemy team has a Gragas with that barrel ultimate that can knock you away. It's not very hard to position in a way that if you get barreled, you just get hit into the wall and you're still in smite range. I think that it's kind of a catch-22 there, though, because while that's true, if you look at that side of the pit, the the, the wall side of the pit, Azir's soldiers have the range to auto-attack you at almost any part of that pit. So if you are on the inside, you are getting chunked down very quickly by those sand soldiers, whereas if you're on the outside, you have the potential to get ulted out. So it really is a bad position just in general for Blabber to be in. So there's one player through this whole series that I really want to highlight. I, I, I won't lie, I didn't pay attention to who won like game MVPs at all. If he didn't win MVP for this series, though, that is ridiculous. It is Zven. Zven in game one played Kaisa. He went 6-2-3. His positioning in every single fight was near perfect. He was so far out of enemies' damage sites, but he was still blowing people up. It was the same in game two. He played the Kaisa again, went 10-0-3. He popped off. And even in the last game, he was on Sivir, and he went 6-0-5 and looked incredible. And to be clear, Sivir is much harder to execute on due to her short range. A hundred percent, yeah. To to have zero deaths on Sivir is quite impressive, considering how close that game was overall. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think Sven is definitely the MVP of the series, at the very least. I feel like this really was kind of just bot lane difference, like you were saying support difference before, but I really do think it falls into, like, Sven... In class of eighty carries is is just way above lost. I I think lost. There's a lot of question marks still, and that this really exacerbates and highlights. Yep. You know when when you see them playing off against each other, just how big that difference is still. Yeah, lost did not look good in any of these games. Like even in game no. one where TSM won, he didn't look good. In game one where TSM won, lost was the second best eighty carry on the team, and that's awful. Yeah, like. It- he was nothing impressive. He also played Jin all three games. And I feel like it gets to a point where you kind of go, maybe this isn't working. Maybe I should play something else. Maybe Reggie gets out the old cell phone and says, hey, double lift, I'll add an extra zero to that uh, check I'm signing for you. Uh, <laughs> come help, please. Y- you know, like. You know, I, for quite a few of these games, I watched double lifts uh, co stream of it. He's not no, he, back. <laughs> he was asked that a lot through those, and he he's he's done. But yeah, so to Doublelift's credit, he was very non-critical or or non-judgmental, or, or really didn't want to comment on Lost and his performance, just because Lost is the one that replaced him, and he didn't feel like that was his place. So I, I really respect that sort of reservation coming out from Doublelift in this situation. I agree. Yeah. So. Another thing I want to talk about with this series, I think it's really my last big point. When you're playing against Cloud9, especially with this current meta, I I think there's two champs that you just... On, actually, I think you can even take it as far as I think there's three champs you need to ban against this team. Do you have any guesses of what those three champs are? I think... Interesting question. <laughs> I think Kais is one. I think Sven's just too strong on Kaisa. 
I don't actually have that as so. One. So Sven's carry performance was good on Sivir, but he is enabling the rest of his team to charge forward. I think that Kaisa, yeah. he is just so confident on that he carries from the front every time. And so I, 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 I don't disagree with you at all, but I, I think there are three more important ones, to be honest. I'm just looking at the list of what they played now. I think you're going to say Alistar for one, because Alistar was played games two and three, and Vulcan looked extremely strong in his engages, so I think that's one. Yeah, yeah. Vulcan on Alistar is so impressive. He had so many just incredible flanks. There was a point where, I can't remember who it was, but someone on Cloud9 got picked off, and then Vulcan just decided, no, we're getting a kill. And went in on as, as Alistar, they got a kill and then just walked away somehow in a 4v5. This dude is so good on this champion. And I, I, I think you have to ban it or you're probably just going to lose. You're at least losing bot lane. I think this is a stylistic thing for C9 too. Because I remember when Smoothie was on C9 and Alistar was also a huge, huge pick for them. Smoothie was also incredible on it, yeah. Okay, so... Yeah, it seems like the coaching staff favors it a lot, and like pretty much every support that they've had recently has performed incredibly well in the champion. But I honestly, out of, out of all of the recent supports, I think Vulcan has looked the best on it. He was amazing. So I, I think that's far and above the priority because you, like I, I was able to get that one relatively easily just looking at the games. I'm not so sure looking at the picks about the other two so you'll have to help me out on those so it's champions that are banned most of the time anyways one of them is the olaf we saw last season when olaf became meta that's how cloud nine started the season like six and oh was blabber just slammed olaf every single game and no one could stop him he is i i think he's far and above the best jungler in north america right now I don't think anyone is really close to him. The plays that he's able to pull off are just ridiculous, and obviously it helps having a very strong team behind you, but even when playing behind, he is still finding success now, whereas in previous years, he he was kind of like Sven Skarin of old, where even when they were behind, he was trying to like counter jungle and would just get picked off and killed. Blabber is able to do that somehow and not die. He is so impressive on that Olaf, and uh, like, especially when it's a strong pick, like it is right now, you cannot allow him to touch that champion. It certainly does fit their aggressive playstyle, especially when paired with Engage from Vulcan. And then the other one is not a super common pick, but we have seen it banned a few times. It's the Kindred. And this was something he pulled out in game three. And he yes. was diving between turrets. He was skirting in and out of team fights. He had good ults. This really was a comfort pick for Blabber. Blabber is known as the original Kindred player. He was one of the first players to ever actually like pull it out and start succeeding with it in LCS. He's pretty much the one that like made it meta last year when a bunch of guys suddenly started playing it. And again, I was watching Double Lift's co-stream for this, and one of the things that was so interesting to hear to me was his talk about playing on liquid with jensen he told a story about how jensen said 
Blabber is the best Kindred player he's ever seen. And Doublelift followed that up by saying, Jensen doesn't compliment anyone. So to have a guy like Jensen, who is has been a top player in North America for a very long time, say that uh, another guy is like the best he's ever seen on a champion is a really, really high compliment. And Doublelift even said, like, everyone knows Doublelift. Everyone knows that name. Everyone knows how skilled and talented he is. According to Doublelift, Jensen ha- has never complimented him on a champion. <laughs> has never said, like, wow, you're really good at that character. But he said it about Blabber and Kindred. Yeah, that really is high praise. And I really do like what Riot did with Kindred from a design standpoint. One being Bounty Hunter, which we've seen with a couple of champs like Kha'Zix and Rengar, for example. But also, too, from the playstyle of uh, AD carry in the jungle, right? So, like, game one, we saw AD carry mid and bot for solo mid. And in, in this game, they essentially had two AD carry. Yes. Blabber didn't, like, stack the sheet as, as much as Ven did as far as kills go, but he had he had one kill one death and he had 11 assists <laughs> yeah that is still very high kill contribution when you factor in that a lot of these lanes are getting solo kills you, you know looking at camille camille is designed to bully lane get kills isolate champions her ultimate is literally designed to isolate herself and one other champion from the enemy team and then bot lane again just being so dominant it really is hard to have 100% KP, but getting the KP he had with with Kindred really does speak to how much he was moving around the map, uh, really doing his job this game. Yeah, in total, Cloud9 had 18 kills that game, and Blabber participated in 12 of them. Like, that's huge. And honestly, hearing Doublelift say that and watching the play, I, I understand it. Blabber is insane on this champion. The one play that really sticks out because it was actually kind of funny. Uh, Cloud9 picked up the, the Kindred early, and TSM responded with Gregus and Azir, and Bard, even. Gregus and Azir specifically, though, are pretty much two champions built to counter Kindred, because Azir can so easily just be in Kindred's face. As soon as Kindred alts, he pushes her away. He just got a free Kindred alt, and Kindred's dead. <laughs> and yet Blabber... In this one fight, the, there was a there was a skirmish mid that broke out. Blabber pretty much queued into five TSM players. The entire team got a bunch of damage onto Lost, I believe it was. Dropped the ults so that he wouldn't die. Poe ulted him out of the ult, and like instantly, he was out of the ult for a second. He dropped to it looked like one HP. You couldn't see his health bar at all. There was just because perks had ulted onto him to try and save him as well on the Galio. So he had this this big purple bar. You couldn't see any health at all, and he manages in a split second to flash back onto the Kindred ult, keep going. He got, like, a few more assists through that fight and just was able to continue going. It was insane to watch. I have, I still can't believe that he actually survived that. It was so impressive. I remember the play you're talking about. It, it really was extreme extreme awareness and, and clean play by him to, to even be able to survive in that situation and i i do have to also give credit across the aisle to poe because he really did look good on his ear i felt yeah i will say however though having spent years watching Bjerg play azir it 
it's yeah. not POE, the same. Part of the problem is by the time it got to game three, Cloud9 realized Lost isn't going to do anything. We don't have to worry about him. And they really started just targeting PoE with, with everything they had in fights and ignoring Lost. Yeah, there was a lot more pressure mid uh, in this game. There, there were a few instances of dives like past the mid-tier one turret. So, so that really does speak to the pressure that C9 is trying to bring in that direction. Also, Azir's scale is really hard. If, if you look at Lakey and Azir, it's like they, they're very good at putting out just heaps and heaps of damage. So it, even this game was getting to a scary point where the end of the game was at 39 minutes. And at that point with Lakey and Azir, like, you really do have to mind where he is at all times. Yeah, you have to blow him up in the fight or you lose the fight. Yeah, it's just a ton. It, it, we're getting back to the same thing where it's just a ton of sustained damage, you know? Yep. Two ADCs for C9 this game, two ADCs for TSM game one. A lot of this theme is like having some really, really big tanks. I do find tank champions this season are, they feel tankier. Definitely. Tanks feel really good as we've seen with like the Gragas tank especially. But that being said, like, when you, when you have these two consistent damage dealers, it really makes it that much more important to at least take one of them out of the fight. And in this game, it was just that Blabber was much better at staying alive. I also want to say Fudge actually looked good in games two and three. I was not impressed with his play at all through th these first games, like in in the group stage and in game one, I thought he looked really bad. He, I felt like he wasn't doing anything, really. Uh, in game two, however, he played the Gregus. He went three, one, and seven. He dominated Hooney. Hooney went 0-5. Oh Hooney did not have a good game on the gangplank. Uh, and then in game three, when it comes down to it, I mean, we, we commended all these other guys, but when it came down to it, game three, they built around Fudge. They built around this Camille with this dive comp, having the, the Galio, the Blabber, and Sven, like as well as the Vulcan, just for this hard engaged dive comp built around Camille. And Fudge played it perfectly. He went 7 0 and 5. There was even a time where he used Camille ult to dodge the Azir ult, which is insane. Like it, when you get to that level of play where you're able to pull that off, that's very impressive. So I, I'm excited to see more of this from him. And I, I hope that we see more of this from him. Yeah, definitely will be good if this is a sign of things to come as they get more practice together and as Fudge gains more experience playing on the large stage and with his team. Overall, it was a fantastic series, though. If you didn't watch it, please, please go watch it. It was so much fun. Even the last two games were C9-1. It was still incredibly competitive. Uh, very... I there were there were times where I was like ripping my hair out. <laughs> yeah, we hardly even talked about the the Baron steal, uh, and and the Baron sneak from TSM game three, just because there's so much to cover. Like like this series was so back and forth. Th this is the level of play you want to see. Looking at your entire roster of teams, like by the end of season, you expect something similar to this from every team out of the LCS. Th th this is competitive it's entertaining it's back and forth you can root for both teams because you really don't know who's going to come out on top if every game was like this the lcs would be in a much better place 100 percent agree 
Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about before we wrap up this episode? Yeah, quick predictions for next week's games. Yeah, so we have EG versus TL and 100 Thieves versus Cloud9. 100 Thieves versus Cloud9 is on the Friday. The Saturday will be Evil Genius versus Liquid. And then I believe the Sunday is the finals. Okay, so we can just do predictions for the whole thing then based on our answer to the Friday-Saturday games. So let's do that. So we'll start with Friday game, 100 Thieves versus Cloud9. I agree with you. We, we mentioned this earlier. I think Cloud9 will win. 100 Thieves looked fantastic, but there are still mistakes that they're making. Cloud9 is a team that's going to capitalize that on that, I think. Also, the bot lane diff. Yeah, it, it, it comes down to experience and caliber of players. And when you have a Perks and a Zven on the same team, they're not going to be outmatched. Yeah. And they're not going to be outmatched, especially by green players. And that's what you have on 100 Thieves. Not not as green as, say, you, you know, INT bringing up their entire academy roster. Of course. But s- still young to the point where they're not it, yeah, top it, of the There's a lot of room there for them to grow still. It's not the level of experience that Cloud9 has. <laughs> I, I think I could see 100 Thieves taking one game, though. I think it, it's a best of five for reference. It's not the best of threes now. I, I could see this going to four games. I think four games is a fair prediction. But I also wouldn't be entirely surprised if Cloud9 sweep <laughs> with how strong they looked in the last two TSM games. I think Cloud9 does still have some things they need to work on. They looked a lot cleaner this weekend than the initial weekend. But I, I, I think that given it's a five-game series, I think there's room for enough for them to mess up in a major way in at least one of the games where 100 Thieves takes one. My my big concern is is the fudge versus Someday, but I think just every other position for Cloud9 is so much better than 100 Thieves has. I am inclined to agree. I will be looking at Demonte in the mid lane. This is someone who's looked very good thus far. I think that he is one of NA's top young talents right now. I agree. This is really going to test him, though. Yes, I I really am looking forward to seeing him measure up against the best in the Western region. Yeah. And then the Saturday game, Evil Geniuses versus Liquid. I think we're both going to be in agreement here. (laughs) So I, I think Liquid takes it. But I think this series is actually going to be closer. I agree. Yeah. I think it'll be a bot lane difference overall. But I think, aside from Cloud9, Evil Geniuses has the best chances of actually being able to shut down Liquid's bot lane. Yeah, so I I think the bot lane is definitely going to go TL favor. However, I do believe that EG is going to be able to apply pressure where it's needed, which would be in the bot lane. I also think across the board, you know, you look at top lane, slight edge for evil geniuses, impact against Alfari. In the jungle as well, I think uh, evil genius has the advantage, honestly. Sven Skarin has looked so good, and then especially with Santorin just not having as much time to play with this team, I think I would give Sven Skarin a, a slight edge here. And both former TSM junglers as well. Yeah. And then- I, jungle will be a very fun matchup to watch to this series, I think overall and then i think another one is we've got two european midlanders again yep the jizuke versus jensen yep and i think that they're both very good at what they do and i think that a lot of this will be comfort picks for them and how well they can carry from the mid lane as far as 
their roaming potential and their I, I really don't think we'll see a ton of fights because I think they're so even that it's going to be hard for one individual expression of skill to really tip the lane in terms yeah. of getting a solo kill. But I think that how they roam and how they affect team fights is really going to be their expression of skill in this matchup. And it'll be interesting to see which one actually comes out as the more effective player. I think I'm taking Liquid in three. But I, this is another one where I, I can definitely see Evil Geniuses being able to snag one with just like top jungle diff. I'm going to say Liquid in five. Really? I think this this series is going to go the distance. I think that the diversity and the decisiveness in fights of Evil Geniuses, looking at them in their first playoff series, not so much in their last group stage game, I feel like if we see that elimination series evil geniuses come out again they will be able to shave games off of this team especially early in the season yeah yeah i i i, I can see it but i think core jj is just gonna run over these games it would be awesome to see them go to five though and then coming up on the sunday i think we both had the same predictions there so that would put c9 against liquid in the final who do you have in that final I think that goes to five. <laughs> it's so hard to say because we haven't seen these teams play each other at all, right? Like, they're on other sides of the group. We we haven't seen them match up. They have pretty new looks for both sides. I think that was by design because these were the expected favorites coming in. So really, this is where you want to see them, just from like a, a viewership standpoint, right? Like, you want to see the stakes be high in their first meeting. I do think... TL just looks like a cleaner team right I agree, but I think I'm taking Cloud9 and 5 in this. And the reason is, in the games that Cloud9 has like really struggled, it's been because Fudge has been useless. And he has seen some really stiff competition in the top lane. Alfari looked really good, but I'm still not convinced that he is going to be like one of the top top laners in North America. So I think Fudge might have an opportunity to not hyperfeed, <laughs> which could allow Cloud9. So I think to TL win. is going to struggle as well in the bot lane because as we've pointed out many many times now, TL is really enabled and unlocked by Core JJ's ability to roam and impact the map in lanes other than bot off of any sort of slight edge. And I really think that the pressure that Sven is going to apply as the top AD carry in the league is going to be so much that it's really going to test what he can do under pressure. For sure. I think one of the big things that I look at for this matchup, in the top lane, I give an advantage to Alfari. Uh, not a huge advantage, but not a small advantage. I think he is better than Fudge. I feel pretty confident in saying that he is right now a better player than fudge in the jungle i gotta give a big advantage to blabber I, I hyped him up so much when we were talking cloud nine versus tsm this dude is a monster i think he is the best jungler in north america right now and i think he is far ahead of santorin right now in the mid lane i'm giving the advantage to perks jensen is fantastic I think Perks is better. I, I think it's around the same skill difference as the top lane. I think I can definitively say that Perks 
is a better player than Jensen, but it's not like by a mile. It's just he he's better. Do you agree with that? I think that perks can tend to lack consistency. We've seen him do that um, so far this tournament, but through his career in in North America so far, yes, yes, yeah. that that's the caveat. In North America so far, he has lacked some consistency. It's also again two European mid laners, and I I think that it stylistically it's also different. Perks tends to be more aggressive. Jensen tends to be more reserved. So it's really going to be hard to quantify unless Perks is able to make these really proactive plays. But I also think that, you know, getting back to that bot lane again, if anyone's going to get cut out in this game, it's likely to be Perks by Corey JJ. Yes, I agree. And then, yeah, you look at the bot lane. I think Sven is a much better player than Tactical. Tactical is great, but I think a lot of the highlight plays that you see from him are just enabled by Core JJ. I don't think he'd be able to pull those off if he wasn't with Core JJ. He's still a good player, but Sven has been just insane through this this these first couple weeks. And then support. That's the flip side. Yeah, exactly. That's where the mismatch favors Core yeah. JJ. I don't know if it's as heavily though. And that's what I'm kind of worried about for the bot lane. It, it's the difference, though, between like, so Sven is the best ADC in North America. Tactical is a good ADC in North America. You look at support, though, Vulcan is, I think, arguably like the second best support in North America right now. One of the stronger ones for sure. But then Core JJ is arguably one of the best supports in the world. And although yeah. that, like, if you were to put it as numbers, I don't think that their numbers are that far apart. If you were to, like, give them a rating out of 100, I don't think their numbers are, are super far apart. But the difference between, like, a 90 and a 93 is a massive difference when it comes down to it in, in the actual gameplay. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's like looking at ELO rating in chess, you know, if you look at like the top players, right? Yeah. They're not ranked like several hundred above the other players of the same rank. You, you know, like, like if, if you look at Hikaru Nakamura, for example, his title is Grandmaster, just like many other active players, but he still adopts other Grandmasters all the time. Adoption, for those who don't know, is winning 10 games straight. And I think that skill expression is translated over the league a lot where, you know, if you put in solo queue, even with random other other teammates, if you put Core JJ up against Vulcan, Core JJ is just going to have more of an impact. Yep. 10 games out of 10. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like Vulcan is is very, very close, I think, to being considered world class. Honestly, I think he is incredible. But Core JJ is already there. Yeah, I agree with that. But overall, very back and forth with our assessment. So it's going to be an exciting series no matter what. I think we're both, uh, regardless of who yeah. ends up winning, I know you're a huge C9 fan, but regardless of who ends up winning, I think we're both rooting most of all for Silver Scrapes. We want to see that Game 5 come out. Yes, <laughs> for sure. Game 5 is always so much fun. Yeah, I find it's always more exciting when you get the, the full distance. It really shows an evenness of skill really makes the stakes that much higher for that last game all right well thank you for listening this has been episode three of summoners corner we are 
in the home stretch of this lock-in tournament now. The regular season is nearly upon us. If you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Will Rolling On Air and on Twitter at Will Rolling Live. I also stream on Twitch, twitch.tv slash The Mad Hatter. Josh, where can we find you? You can find me at twitch.tv slash snapcaster13. I stream a few times a week, uh, mostly League of Legends, but also a variety of other games. Thank you so much for listening and stay safe.